Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to talk about the album Sunset, which was released October 22nd, 2019. The way I thought about this album as I was putting it together was that it was like a compilation. So I had all of these ideas that were either... I had I'd put them up on the shelf, they were unfinished... Um, kind of, they were like a bunch of abandoned ideas that I liked, but that needed to be finished. Um, there, I just had a bunch of unfinished ideas and I got to a certain point where I'm like, I need to stop making new ideas and I need to just finish these ideas. Um, because there was a time when I liked all of these and, you know, was excited about them and I, I need to finish them. So this album was a challenge in... like finding the discipline to sit down and finish ideas because they, I had let them pile up. Um, and so my approach to this was, you know, I had a whole bunch of unfinished ideas and, you know, to varying degrees. And at a certain point I just took a linear approach. So I would take one of the ideas and that's all I would, work on until it was done and then I would go to the next one and only work on that one till it's done either till it's done or I decide it's not worth it and I throw it away but um I can't remember how many ideas I threw away probably not that many and probably I probably realized pretty early on like eh, I don't think this one's worth it so I'm just gonna not do this one but um yeah, it's tough to go back and finish old ideas that you'd started and then, you know, put away for a little bit. And then that excitement and energy and it, that you get when you first get your teeth into something exciting, once that's gone, and then you have to go back and finish the song, that's that's tough. So my approach was just linear with that um, one song at a time. Don't do anything else till that song is finished. And that worked. It It's hard. And it's kind of uncomfortable. Um, because sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't feel inspired in the way that you did when you first came up with the idea. But I found that if I don't give myself the option to go into another song and like to avoid doing that, if I just make myself do that, um, a lot of times, you know, it'll end up, you know, it'll be finished. It'll get, uh, I'll get somewhere eventually. And, um, I think like doing that, I was doing that and I was taking the approach, like, I'm not going to be a perfectionist about these. I just want to, uh, finish them. Um, you know, have like the essence of the idea come through, but not be a total like neat freak about it. And, um, OCD, which is very easy to do. I think for anybody who is into recording and the amount of microscopic, uh, just editing and, you know, rewriting and reopening and diving into things like the, I think it's very, the modern computer workstation is very 
conducive to OCD and like perfectionism. So that's always a big hurdle in finishing music for me and probably for, I would imagine anybody else is just constantly being like, you know, I think, I don't know. I think it could be a little better. Like there's something missing or something like that. So for this album, I I think I realized I needed to let go of that if I wanted to finish these ideas. And then I probably made a deal, um, like, you know, just finish all these and pick the ones that you think are the strongest. And if, if the ones that don't turn out so good, you know, don't use them if you don't want to use them. But, you know, just try to finish all of them. And uh, it worked out. And I, as this album ages, I, I really like it. And um, I think that worked out. And I am really happy that I finished some of these ideas and released them and didn't, um, you know, decide to throw them away or never finish them because I wasn't sure if they were up to standard. Uh, but anyway... This, yeah, so this was like a compilation album of all my unfinished ideas at the time. And I was I was getting real backed up. And I get that feeling if I've got a bunch of I have that feeling right now because I have so many ideas that I've started. I like the essence of them, but it's gonna take some work to finish them and it's gonna take some discipline to sit with the idea again. It was, it's all these Instagram videos, these little one-minute videos. So it, it's going to be a little harder because I'll only have one minute of material recorded. And for the Instagram video, you know, I I try to have like a good one minute. And then, uh, so, I guess that's not bad. I just have to make it, you know, three minutes. That's like a decent song. And longer if it... If it uh, calls for it like if it seems like it can if the idea can sustain more time or is asking for more sections or something i could do that but yeah i've, I've got to do that i'm working on that right now i'm taking the same approach on the album i'm working on right now as i did with this album i'm focusing on one song i've gotten to the point where yeah i'm i have a bunch of ideas and I, now i just i know i need to just focus linearly at one at a time um, and just try to finish them, do my best and, um, but not get, you know, just keep taking steps forward with this album so it can get done. Cause, uh, yeah, only released that one album in 2021 and I really like it, uh, Fire on the Beach, but, um, I would like to release more music this year. So anyway, I, I'm going to get back to the Sunset album and just go through the tracks and talk about what I remember from making each of those. So the first song on the album is called Adderin's Cradle. I originally made that song because, well, it was 2015 and I really wanted to get into writing music for video games and I had no idea really 
how to get into that. I didn't know any game developers. Um, I looked around online and found some suggestions. And one of them was, you know, find a game or, you know, a list of games that are currently in development. And they had like a specific stage of development where that you should try to find games in because that's when they're still going to be trying to sort out their music and everything. So I found a game called Adderin's Cradle that was in development. All they had so far was like the concept and they had kind of like a, a rough sketch of the world. Like um, what they had was a demo video. Uh, it was called a fly through. So it was like, it was as if there was a camera flying through the world that they had created for this game. And you could tell it was still a little rough and it was still, um, you know, pretty early in development. But um, it looked cool and I used that as a uh, something to score. Kind of, you know, they didn't ask me. It was completely independent, but I tried to write a score to it, you know, write a song to match that, that uh, video. And then I sent it to them. I actually sent them two because they had two fly-throughs, as they call them, where it kind of just like takes you around the virtual world that they created for their game. And so I made two of them. The, the first one was Adderin's Cradle, which is what you just heard. And then the second one, I did not include that on this album. Um, anyway, I, I was, it was fun. It was interesting to try to write to video. I don't think I'd done much of that at all at the time. And I still haven't. Um, but I sent them. I thought they were great for, you know, I thought they went with the video great, but I, I never heard anything back from them. Um, so that's about where that experiment ended. And, and then I, I've always liked that piece of music. So whenever I was putting together this album, I decided to add it to the album and it seemed like a good intro. Um, like the, the sound effects at the beginning of that song which I'll play for you right now. That was kind of like a fun exercise in sound design because the video that I was scoring, you know, in the first like five seconds or something, there was like an opening graphic, like this animation that displayed like their logo or um, the name of the game or something. I, I can't remember exactly what it did, but it was like a... It was like a um, an animation graphic before the video began, like an intro logo kind of thing. So um, I was trying to find like uh, sound effects and stuff that would match the animation they had. And um, yeah, so this album, it's uh, I kind of was thinking of it as a compilation as I was putting it together because I, I didn't have necessarily a, a very strong, like uh, pointed idea of what the album would be. 
And I wasn't writing all of this music with the intention of all of it being on an album together, as in, you know, I wasn't writing an album, and in air quotes, I wasn't like intentionally writing an album when I was writing all these songs. I had just accumulated a bunch of ideas, a bunch of like electronic music ideas, and eventually I, I felt like I should... Um, I should finish these and just and release them and so whenever I was putting it together I didn't really see there I didn't really see much of um, like a connecting theme or anything throughout the music but you know as I started collecting the songs and finishing them the album did sort of take on an identity and it's kind of weird how that happens and I, I think I mean, a lot of times when I'm putting an album together, I'm taking basically just like the the songs and pieces of music that I feel are the best, like the ones that I'm the most excited about. I just take all of those that I've collected over the past, you know, however many months, and I just put those together. And something, I, I feel like just the fact that they're all kind of from a certain time period um, kind of ties them together. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know how, but um, it ended up being more cohesive of an album than I intended. At least as it's aged, I feel like it's become more cohesive in, in my head. It's just a lot of uh, electronic music, a lot of dance beats. There's some there's some oddballs in there, like um, Papalote's Lowrider. It's kind of like a hip-hop kind of sound and then there's like a couple weird kind of abstract ones in there but um yeah this one just came from i had a bunch of ideas that needed to be finished or they were close to being finished i had just accumulated all of these random ideas i liked and then i picked uh, 17 of my favorites and and uh put them together or, you know, finished them and put them on the album. And the album is called Sunset. And so a lot of the a lot of the songs don't have words, which it can be difficult to name songs that don't have words. Um, so for this, like once I had the album title, Sunset, um, I started naming all of the songs sunset-themed songs, like that time of day when the sun's going down, it's getting dark, twilight, um, you know, when the moon's coming up and it's nighttime and kind of the transition between day and night. So... Yeah, that, that, that's the story of the, the first song. I made it trying to score a video game scoring job, and that didn't work, but um, I'm happy that I got to use it for this album. And uh, track number two is a song called Stargazer.
like this one was very heavily inspired by the style of rhythm guitar playing that Corey Wong uses and Nile Rodgers and some of those like disco funk guys. Um, and then I was using the Moog Minotaur for the bass, which is, it's a monophonic analog synthesizer that only plays, you know, the lower registers and it does a very, very good job with those. It's a very simple sound, but it does that simple sound really well. And I just love tools like that, that, uh, they do a narrow range of things really, really well. So that's always dependable, that synthesizer, the Moog Minotaur. And it's weird. You would think that it would be pretty similar to... I have another Moog synthesizer called the Little Fatty. That was, that was the first ever um, analog hardware synthesizer I bought. Um, that was back in 2012. And you would think that being the same brand, they look pretty similar, that there wouldn't be that much of a difference in the way the bass sounds, but the Moog Minotaur is just so much easier for me to get a good sound out of for bass. I was really surprised. And um, yes, love that piece. Love it. And... Um, yeah, so I think it, it um, there was a drum loop that I had downloaded that had a cool vibe to it. And I think I used that to start the song. Like to, that was, I think that was like the first thing I put in the project to build around. And then um, as the song started to take shape, I started to add to those drums and like kind of shape them with the song. But um yeah, I'll play you that drum loop right now. Here's here's what I started with with that song. So that I liked the way that felt and I believe the next thing I did was I added an arpeggio, a synth, a repeating synth arpeggio, which is a very common place for me to start an idea. Um, you can hear it at the beginning of the song. It's that one that's like, like I, I, I made that pattern. And the reason I love doing this method is you, you can make this repeating sequence of notes, you know, that are in the same key, obviously but then you can play different chords underneath them and, you know, that repeating sequence of notes will work. Like, you can play almost any chord in the key and it'll work and it'll have a different feeling to it. So a lot of times I'll, I'll make a repeating sequence of notes and then just play different chords underneath of it and see if there's a certain chord progression that, um, I really like and and usually there there is very there's usually a lot of different chord progressions that I'm like or that I like and it's sometimes hard to choose 
But anyway, I, th I think that's what happened next. I came up with the chords for like that intro section. And then, um, yeah, it builds up and whenever the next part comes in, that's when the guitars come in and uh, that's when the uh, that Moog Minotaur bass and the, uh, I think... Uh, I think I probably set that bass pattern up first and then I started playing guitar trying to do that that real rhythmic uh almost percussive guitar playing. And that's pretty much it. It goes between those two sections like build up and then the beat drop and you know when it comes back there's a little extra juice each time as is the common formula um yeah and that that's it real simple and i had a fun time making a music video for this because uh at the time i think i was going to drop this song, like release this song first or share it kind of just to drum up some interest maybe, or just kind of alert people that a new album was going to be released. So I made a video for it and it was a fun experiment because I, I used this website called Fiverr. I've used it on a lot of stuff, actually random jobs. It's a freelancing website where people post their job like the thing they'll do and then you can just hire people to do random stuff so on some of my albums i've hired people to play trumpet or trombone i've hired people to make designs and that never has turned out well uh, on fiverr for me i've hired people to run my recordings through their gear at their studio like if they had a tape machine or something cool that i wanted to hear what it sounded like and they have this for all different kinds of things, not just music related. So I was looking on Fiverr just to see what was out there, seeing if they had any like dance related ones. And I found, I really wanted to get someone who was dancing in front of a green screen so that I could, you know, cancel out the background and kind of just put the dancer wherever. Like it just like opened up a lot more possibilities to make kind of like a interesting looking video. And I found one, this woman from China who would dance in front of a green screen and you could like, she had like a number of different kinds of clothes that you could like choose from. So I like hired her with a couple different outfits to dance. I, and then I sent her like a 30 second clip of the song and then she sent me back video of her like dancing to the song in front of a green screen. So then I, you know, with the green screen, you can replace the background. And then I was able to kind of like duplicate the dancer and like rotate and like reposition and size them. And it was fun to mess around with. Um, and that was like the first video project I, I had gotten, um, kind of enveloped with in a long time where I was really like felt like I was getting into the editing in a creative way 
as opposed to just like, you know, putting clips in proper order and trimming them, like going beyond that. So that was fun. Uh, that video is on YouTube. But anyway, enough about Stargazer. It, it, I think it was like, it was probably my favorite song, and that's why it was second. Like, Adderin's Cradle didn't count. That, that was, I counted that as like an intro, and then Stargazer is the first like full-on song, and I think it was my favorite, so that's why it was second. Because what I've noticed on Spotify is that um, the songs just get progressively less view, uh, listens as the album goes on. There's like a couple exceptions, but most of the time the first song gets the most, the second song gets the second most listens, the third song, they just like keep decreasing in the amount of listens they have as the album goes on. So at a certain point I started just putting the ones I wanted people to hear the most up at the front of the album. Um, and also releasing shorter bodies of work, uh, like three, four song EPs I really like. The only thing I don't like about that is Spotify doesn't include that in my albums. It, inc it includes it in the singles section of my Spotify, and that really bothers me because they're not singles. They're EPs. And I look at them as albums because they're their bodies of work and you know a lot of the songs are very long so like a three song ep could be as long as like an lp if it had seven tracks with the same amount of total time but anyway i'm gonna stop complaining about that uh i found out a way around it which i have used uh if you have seven tracks at least it'll categorize it as an album so I just make sure all my releases have seven tracks from now on. Maybe make like an interlude or some kind of some littler connective pieces or something just to get the track count to seven. That seems like a really dumb reason, but I'm very uh, particular about how the discography is like presented. That's why I like Bandcamp because it shows just all of like the thing, all of the albums, like all of the official releases just together. That's also why I've I've been so resistant and have refused to release uh, singles. Like, I know that it's probably a better strategy because then you're you're staying relevant in people's minds regularly. You've got something new for them to consume. But I haven't figured out a way. Like, if I could release an album and release them all one at a time. But when I release them, they go to the album, so the album just keeps growing. Instead of them being all separate single releases, I would do that, but I, I don't know how to do that. And so, and I don't want my Spotify discography to become like a mess of singles, because it, it would become that, I feel like. And you'd it'd be really hard to find stuff and I don't know, but it's probably just, I, I'm just uh, stubborn about that. I want the discography to be clean, not have a million singles, because so sometimes I go, I mean, that's the way it works for most, uh, like, pop and, like, electronic artists. 
they release singles um, pretty regularly. And then when I go to their discography and I look at their singles, it's like you're just scrolling down all these individual songs not tied together with like an album structure and it, it becomes like watered down almost or it's like hard to look through or nowhere um nowhere to find tracks and stuff so yeah it's probably dumb of me to not do that but um i just don't like that the mess of singles anyway (laughs) let's uh continue uh the third song is called the golden hour the reference being to you know when the sun goes down and it's still light out for a little longer you're supposed to be able to get some good pictures during that time but um yeah i really liked this one because it made me feel good and i also got to uh use my flute the kenna the south american peruvian the peruvian flute of the andes wooden flute that my cousin bobby introduced me to and um I love that part. I also, um, in that song, uh, nobody has mentioned it, but I sampled and I reused some of the vocals from an old song. Uh, Two old songs, actually. I used some of the vocals from a song I made in 2014 called Deviant. And it's on the EP called Dawn. So um, this this song was in the same key, and I just thought I'd see what would it sound like if I, you know, put those vocals on top of this music, and I thought it sounded cool, so I kept it in there. And then I used some vocals from a song from 2012 called Solitude. So, um... I guess that's the fun fact about that song. Let's see, uh, song number four, Neon Twilight. This one, mm, I, I feel like this one, I feel like I was really connecting with my Prophet synthesizer, which is the my main polyphonic analog synthesizer. Polyphonic, for those of you who aren't into synthesizers, that just means you can play more than one note. 
some of the synth my other synthesizer the the moog it's monophonic so you can only play one note so it's it's good for playing like lead lines and bass lines but you can't play chords with it um and uh the prophet is my polyphonic synthesizer which i can play chords on and um yeah i felt like i was really connecting with that and getting some tones that i was really liking um like that chimey tone in the beginning. I love that tune, that tone. I feel like I still use that tone in other things. It's just such a nice and dreamy tone. And then the tone, like the big fat chords whenever the beat drops, um, that's also the prophet. And that's one of those synthesizers that sometimes... When I play with it, I'm like, ah, like I, nothing sounds, I can't get it to sound good. And then other times when I play with it, usually the times when I spend a little more time digging into the sound and I turn the volume up a little louder so I can really hear well, I can get into some really awesome tones. But sometimes I'm playing it, I feel like when I'm looking for a tone, I'm like, ah, I don't like that, I don't like that. And then, it can be hard for me to find a tone I like, but when I really take a little more time shaping the sound and I turn the volume up so I can be immersed in it, uh, I get I can find some really cool stuff. So I guess the lesson there is I should spend more time at louder volumes with my synthesizers. That is the lesson here. This was kind of a weird song to try to solo over like to play a lead over um which the lead in this the lead synthesizer sound in this during the um after the intro and before the outro that's the moog little fatty It's interesting how they sound different, um, but yeah, the, the the key I like I don't know what key this is in. I think it's an ambiguous key. I think it could be either major or minor, because the chords I was playing, which I w went through a a phase. I think I'm still going through it where I really loved these chords. What are they? Um, let's see, third, seventh, ninth. It's not a ninth. It's an eleventh. I was really getting into 11th chords without the third. So an 11th chord without the third sounds like how the chords in this song sound. But what's interesting about those chords, if you don't have the third, the third of the chord is what defines it as major or minor. So without that, it's like very, it's ambiguous. It could be either one. You could solo in a minor or a major key and it would work. So that was a little bit challenging, but I think I just played to it enough times to get something that I felt okay about. And um, that's all I got to say about that. I feel like that that's, a, that's the chunkiest song of the album in terms of the, the girth of the beat. So the next song's called Bogan Let Moonrise.
So the title of this song, Bogue Inlet Moonrise, is a reference to an experience I had um, at uh, Emerald Isle, which is where my family goes on vacation, and uh, my whole extended family, all my cousins and aunts and uncles and everything. And I was out on the beach with my brothers and my cousins for a late night beach session, nighttime beach hangout, and um, we were hanging out down on the beach, and the night was going by, it, it became very late, and the moon came up. And um, if we were, we were on the beach, and if we looked to our left, down the coast, um, there was the Bogue Inlet fishing pier uh, sticking out into the ocean, and it had its lights on and everything. And the moon came up over the pier, and it was humongous in red and shaped like a macaroni noodle. It was like one of the coolest moons I'd ever seen. Um, of course, there's no photo evidence because every time you try to take a picture of the moon, it just looks puny and does not translate at all. But it was amazing. So that's what the title's a reference to. And this song was... Uh, this was an idea that was started in 2017 and I never did anything with um it started in 2017 and i always liked it but it just didn't have uh an ending or like the it it just wasn't done and i i think i wasn't sure what to do with it for a while so it just kind of sat there and i uh yeah i decided to finish it for this album and it ended up turning into so i i got back into the song and i you know went through the process of like trying to finish it and ended up getting inspired to write a whole nother section which for the album i ended up splitting them so they're two separate songs but originally they were supposed to be one song bogan let moonrise and the song that follows it which is called if you want it and I was a little bit torn because, like, I was going to keep them together and it was going to be, like, a nine-minute, ten-minute song. And then I was like, I think I'll split them up because I, I, I really liked the second half and I kind of wanted that to be its own thing. But if you're, if you're listening on... Spotify or iTunes, it'll be a seamless transition, so it'll sound like one song, but they are two. Yeah, and so that brings me to the next song, If You Want It, featuring Shane McLaughlin, who's been a guest on the podcast. He's, he's one of the singers and the guitar player of Pittsburgh folk band Buffalo Rose. So similar to Stargazer, this song definitely has the same kind of guitar playing influence with those really rhythmic chords a la Corey Wong or Niall Rogers 
or any of the people that influenced uh, any of those people, just that style. And with, uh, coupled with, you know, a secondary guitar that's doing single note, very rhythmic plucking stuff. Um, I was really into that sound at this period of time. And the bass, I'm pretty sure it was the Moog Minitar again, and it was doing that driving like 80s type of bass, um, which is definitely influenced by the 80s. And also I love this song called DeLorean Dynamite by a guy named Todd Terget. And I just love the sound of that driving like 80s bass. So I use it in a lot of songs. And um, this was one of them. I love the sound of that driving 16th note bass, like da 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 da, and then playing big chords on top of it and changing the chords and having that bass note stay on the whatever root it's playing. Um, I do that all the time. But anyway, back to Shane, the vocalist on this track. He came over one time just to play music and and record and kind of just we didn't really have an idea of what we were going to do or or any expectations um and he came over and we were making this song up like this we were playing these instrumentals making this recording and he started doing some vocal like ad ad libbing man i i just found out it's ad lib for the longest time, I think my whole life I've been calling it ablib with a B, ablib, ablib, but it's adlib. Hopefully nobody noticed. Um, but yeah, he was like improvising vocals and I used the vocals from that adlib session uh, and I pulled them into this new song I was working on and um, that's where I got all the vocals for this song um i just cut and pasted and rearranged the improvised takes from that previous uh, session that we did that was a completely unrelated piece of music it's always interesting to do that when you take vocals out of context and you put them in another piece of music and you mess around with um fitting them to a they, they just take on a whole different life and it's very cool i did a similar thing with the the next song which is called could be me featuring S.J. Kirkland, who is a really talented singer, and uh, she sang with the band Shaq Nicholson from Pittsburgh. So those vocals are actually from a Shaq Nicholson song called Fungus Parkway. And I had the isolated vocals because I mixed and mastered their album. With permission, I sample, you know, I used some of those vocals and cut them up and rearranged them and put them into this song to see how they would sound because I really don't ever have like female vocals to work with. So that was um, something I always wanted to try because uh, SJ has a really great voice. 
and I really loved what it added, kind of took the energy to another level. And during this period of time at the Chalk Dino house in Southside, where I was living with my brother Nick and our friend Andrew, um, Andrew has shown me a lot of music, a lot of like house music that was um, kind of like, it's hard to describe what we, it was like mellow and deep, but driving still, still with some, uh, some get up and go, but, um, you know, mellow still somehow. And, um, that was like a big influence in this album. And so was this Tycho DJ set that Andrew sent me or, or showed me one time. It was, um, a Tycho Sunrise DJ set at Burning Man. And I listened to that a good bit, and that definitely inspired a lot of the kind of emotions and, and feelings on this album. Um, kind of like uh, mellow but driving and deep music. And, and some of the, I mean... That influenced a lot of the songs on this, but a lot of my, like, <laughs> the result of that is usually, like, I have a hard time, like, keeping it too mellow, so a lot of the time it gets, it uh, gets a little um, higher energy than, like, what the inspiring music was for me. There's kind of this weird thing that's hard to achieve when I try to make house music, like with that, like the, the dance beat music, there's something that I find it very hard to produce and to mix. Just, I think the style is kind of foreign to me. And, um, I mean, I feel like I've tried making a lot of it and I've, I feel like I have not really like quite nailed the way that they do it. Um, in terms of what, what I was saying was like, there's a lot of that type of music where there's not a whole lot of high end, like treble. It's like a lot of like bass and low frequencies and like mellow filtered stuff. Um, and I feel like when I try to make it, a lot of times it gets, it gets way brighter than the stuff that I like. Um, it ends up getting way brighter and more like in your face. And yeah, it's very difficult to capture that. I, I was just, uh, I came downstairs. Um, my girlfriend, Alyssa, was riding a Peloton and I could hear the song Losing It by Fisher playing. And I came downstairs um, to talk about that because. That is one of those, that's like an example of, it's like a song that, I'm losing it. I had heard it, um, I don't remember when I heard it, but I remember liking it a lot. And then I remember seeing like a live video of, of him, you know, when he puts that song on and it's like a, a barn burner or whatever. 
I don't know if that's a real phrase, but it was like a really like a climax of a set, like crowd just gets like so energized. There's so much energy in it. And then when you listen to the recording, there's really, there's like not a lot going on in it. It's such a minimal arrangement. Um, and yet it has so much energy and that's always been perplexing to me. Like in, in that song, it's like, you know, it's the drum beat that, you know, all house music has like, just like kick drum repeatedly with a hi-hat in between. But the way they mix that is, it's surprisingly hard. Like um, it sounds really simple and like it would be easy, but every time I try to make that style of music, I find it very hard to do um, because there's some kind of art to making that style of music where like it doesn't the people who make it really well it doesn't get too repetitive although it is repetitive by nature whenever i try it a lot of times it'll be like this is going to drive like i'll be listening to it and i'll be like this just sounds like a loop and it's going to drive me nuts kind of thing but somehow the people who are you know at the top of that genre know how to kind of keep it interesting and evolving and spacious that's the thing like that song which is a huge hit is it's that basic drum beat and there's like one main little like hook synth thing that's going like and it just keeps doing that and then like there's like this art to creating stuff around that like atmospheric things um you know like there's there's like an alarm sound effect that's happening intermittently and then there's the vocal that only says the one line uh, you know at the climax of the build-up i'm losing it blah. and then like there's like one other thing like a big like synth horn that's like bah. i'm losing it which is, is uh, I hear that sound a lot, and it's a very effective sound. I've uh, dabbled in the synth horn myself. But yeah, I'm always just amazed at like how much harder it is to make that kind of music than you would expect. Um, and whenever, whenever you dissect it, it's like, it doesn't seem like th there's very few elements, and that's kind of what makes it hard. And... The drum beat is very standard, but it's hard to make it sound good and like interact with the bass in the right way. I don't know. I still haven't figured it out. I would love to be able to to make bangers, as they call them, of that style, but I have not figured out how to do it. They always they always come out like sounding like I don't know my own <laughs> my own style, which is can be a little brash and bloated i feel like at times like too much sound going on at the same time it's really hard to to do minimal arrangements not in only in that style of music but in music in general a lot of the best songs and like most mature music productions and sound recordings and and songs 
Um, they have minimal arrangements. And that doesn't mean they sound empty. It just means that there's not a lot of stuff going on. It's just very well arranged. Like they all fill, all the instruments are just meshing together really well and not covering each other up, but, you know, also sounding coherent together. That's a real, that's kind of like um, one of those things that's just an, a never-ending pursuit, kind of like, you know, getting good drum sounds. It's uh, it's just one of those things that continue to work on as long as I'm actively, you know, recording and writing music, uh, you know, that's going to be just part of the, the, su- the subtlety, the subtlety of the art that the best people and the best songs are able to do so much with so much less and the, the, their use of space and negative space, kind of you know, like painting or photography or something. Just the use of space is really a sign of maturity and it's very hard to do. Um, anyway, that was a long tangent. So back to the album. Track number eight is called Dusk at the Ledges. So for a lot of this album, I wanted it to flow from one song into the next. And this song was created because, um, not because, but it uses one of the elements from the previous song. Um, It starts with the element from the previous song continuing to play. And then as that continues to play, I started writing a new song over that synthesizer sequence um, those repeating notes and that's kind of what catapulted this idea um, so um, yeah I guess I, not too much more to say about this one other than I used some bird sounds at a certain point and I think that's that's all I have to say about this song it's a funky song Not too much uh, interesting comes to mind when I think of this in terms of uh, details. Um, The next song is called Sun Meets Moon. This is one of my favorites on the album. It was one of the ones that was pretty strongly influenced by that Tycho Burning Man DJ set. Um, Kind of like the emotion of it. And yeah, that's, that's it. I messed around with some vocals in this one. Not words, but just um atmospheric vocals that that's what plays at the beginning of the song and it's i i really saturated it like distorted it and i like auto-tuned it and then i 
you know, put a bunch of reverb and delay on it. Honestly, like, if you do that, your voice becomes, like, a keyboard sound almost. And very often it adds something cool. Um, and it can be used very creatively. Uh, Auto-tune gets a bad bad rap. Bad rap? Bad rap. But uh, you can use it creatively uh, for sure. And definitely very... Uh, interesting tool but um and there's something about the human voice that no matter what if it's if it's auto-tuned and processed to hell and it no longer even sounds like a human voice there's something about it that makes it like stick out beyond all the other instruments and has like maybe it's the way our ears are evolved or something but it, it always adds this extra layer of interest at least to me um or like this interesting texture so i like uh i like um you know do that whenever i can it's kind of a pain in the butt if you're not a good uh singer i'm like uh, good enough that i i can like if i'm recording i can usually get it to sound the way i want but um i do not feel like i have very good control over my voice in general at least not as much as I would like. Whenever I see singers that so fluidly express through their voice, it looks amazing, and I would love to be able to do that. But I know it takes a lot of work, and I have not done that, so I can't expect to have that kind of control. The same could be said about any instrument or anything. Anytime I watch somebody doing something very fluidly that they have a lot of skill at, it's... It looks great, and it, it it looks like it would be really nice to be able to do that, no matter what it is, if it's somebody who's good at surfing or playing guitar, like somebody who can just, there's like no friction between what they're trying to express and what they can do. That's, uh, I love seeing that, and I would love to get to that point. I, I know that with all the instruments that I play, the closer I get, in that direction or the further I get in that direction, like the less, um, the more freely I'm able to express with, without limitations of my skills, uh, the more fun it is and the more rewarding it is. The only problem is like the part that you have to do to be able to do that is really like boring to me, which is practice. Luckily recording music and performing music gives uh practice it, it gives um like a purpose like a very directly purposeful application of practice and also like i i if i'm recording I, I have to keep playing something until i get it the way i want it and if we're performing i have to practice a lot to you know so i don't embarrass myself um so I don't let the band down with my mistakes. 
Um, so I don't let the crowd down. Just kidding. I, I, I feel like I've definitely realized that <clears throat> as a performer, you're way more tuned in to your mistakes and how things are supposed to sound versus the crowd who's, you know, probably with their friends, probably having a conversation, to be honest, like while I'm making a mistake, it probably like, it it would be very easy to miss, especially when you're in a a big room with a lot of reverb or the sounds bouncing around, you don't get a lot of detail. This is what I tell myself to uh, psych myself up for for show. And if I'm not feeling the most confident in um, the songs we're playing, but uh, anyway, yeah, where was I? That brings me to number 10, Seven O Heaven, which is a play on words because the drums of this song were made with a 707, which is a drum machine from 1985. So that's why it's called 70 Heaven, because it, I made it with the 707 drum sound. Very 80s drum sound, and um, that was kind of the the uh, tinder, the, uh, the spark that kind of you know, lit the fire for this uh, song. It's another one of those songs where it's got that driving bass... Um, that I like, kind of driving 80s bass. And uh, as I mentioned before, at a certain point, you know, start playing big chords over the driving bass that's playing the same note. And um, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, the next song, Star Cluster, featuring John Henderson. hard to say what genre this is but a lot of different genres in electronic music are defined by their tempo and their beat and the drum tones so i feel like this one it's the tempo of dubstep and it has the drum tones of trap so i'm not sure what that makes this but that's not important yeah, just a very emotional type of song. I, I, to be honest, I don't really remember what the process was for this, but I do remember that it was a song that I felt like it needed something else, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. So I sent it to John Henderson, the guitar player in Chalk Dinosaur, and asked him if he would be interested in um, you know taking a stab at you know, doing uh, some guitar on it. And so he did. He recorded like a solo, very uh, soulful solo. 
an emotional solo. And then that kind of sparked me to do like try some slide guitar on it um, on my Hawaiian lap steel guitar. a gift from Mr. Bradford who is the guy who um, you know works on my amp and sets up my guitar and you know he was the father of the original bass player and drummer for Chalk Dinosaur back in 2008 but anyway slide guitar seems like a that that's one of those things that kind of also like vocals it it adds something unique and like kind of ear grabbing. Um, but for this song, it was like a distorted slide guitar, kind of like, like, um, almond bros or something. And, um, yeah. So that wrapped it up for this one. I was like that, you know, with, with John's additions and then the slide guitar, I felt like, you know, this is, uh, this works for me. I'm ready to put a pin in it. I played this song one time live, maybe twice. I can't remember what year. It must have been 2016 or 17. Um, and yes, played it live uh, at the Rex Theater. Sunset, number 12. This was, this idea came from, okay, back in 2015 or 16, I had been writing music for a music library for three years at the time for Vanacore, writing a lot of music for TV shows, uh, like background music. And I kind of got a little bit, I kind of just started thinking like, I, why don't I start my own music library and and completely own all of the music. Um, so I started creating songs in the same fashion that I do for Vanacore, but I just would keep them, and, and I started uh, making my own library of music. 
And this was one of those songs. Um, I never ended up continuing with that, with that project. And I mean, that would have been really hard um, because I can, I can make the music, but I have no connections in that industry. And like working with this music library, Vanacore, they have all the connections. They're already doing the music for all of the biggest like reality shows. So all I have to do is make the music and um so yeah i would have been totally lost um trying to shop it not saying it couldn't have been done but just like based on my experience trying to sell sample packs which i just started trying to do over the past couple months like i am very lost with that part of it but you know making the sound I, I can do that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's one of those songs that was... Uh, originally, I was making it from my own music library that I would license it for um, shows or movies or whatever. That was the intention. But I ended up just using it for this album. I ended up using... Uh, uh, I think most of the other ones for something. But um, yeah, this is inspired by Tycho, for sure. Just the emotional tone of it. Papalote's Lowrider. Song number 13. Papalote's Lowrider. This, uh, this song is something that um, my cousin Bobby, he was working, he was doing voiceover uh, on this cartoon project. Um, someone he knew was making a cartoon and he was going to do a voice for it and they consulted me or they were going to hire me to make the theme song for it, which would have been sweet. Um, but that, that project fell through and... But I had made the theme song, and so I just, I really liked it, so I just extended it and put it on the album. Uh, and the criteria for the theme song that they wanted was, I think it was like urban, ethnic, and like, you know, like yogi, but like city and like hip hop combination. Um... So there's like, you know, some Eastern, I think there's like sitar, uh, some kind of like star thing. And it, it's like, I was trying to combine like Eastern music with, uh, with like hip hop, uh, like smooth hip hop. So that was how that song came together. And the title is a reference to an experience I had in San Francisco, or maybe it was Oakland. Um, San Francisco or Oakland, my cousin Bobby was living in Oakland at the time, right across from San Francisco. And I went to go visit him and, uh, we were walking around, I think we were walking around Mission Park or Dolores Park. I can't remember what park it was. And there was like a, a car show going on 
And it was all these low riders, like, yeah, just like bouncing up and down. And like, it was crazy. I've never seen that kind of car show before. It was cool. And then Papalotes was a restaurant we went to, a Mexican restaurant. And I got a very delicious burrito there. So that was just, that was the experience of that day, Papalotes burrito, and then seeing the low sh- low rider car show at uh, you know near the park. So that was uh, that was a fun time. I think I remember that experience also was um, marked by you know in California they've got dispensaries uh, all around, and I had gotten some edible edibles and um very common theme here it was a lot stronger than i thought it was going to be and so i you know when i was in popolo taste i remember just trying to keep it together and sweating a bit um but the popolo taste really uh, kept me grounded that delicious burrito um yes so the next song is it was a dream Song number 14. So I was um, exploring the tones of the Prophet 6, my synthesizer, and I was just making, like, I wanted to make some really dreamy gentle mellow tones and maybe i had been listening to a lot of boards of canada um in combination with that Tycho sunrise uh, dawn dj set like a lot of that was kind of like ambient and gentle but had like a you know a beat to it a bit so this one's very gentle and the interesting thing about this song is that Somehow I found, or my mom gave to me, my, like, a cassette from elementary school. Because at my elementary school, they would, they would record your reading progress. Like, you would, every so often, you would, you know, read from a book, and they would record you on cassette um, to kind of monitor your progress and be able to show your parents, I guess. But anyway, my mom still had this cassette from kindergarten. Uh, One of them was from kindergarten and one of them was from uh, from fourth grade. She still had this, so she gave it to me and I put it on my computer and it was pretty crazy just like hearing me in kindergarten talking to my kindergarten teacher um, and then just like this recording of me reading Johnny Appleseed um, as a six-year-old, it was very interesting to hear. And my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Malo. Um, but anyway, I like, there was some interesting stuff in there. I, I just experimented with like this, this song that I was working on was like very gentle and spacious. And it seemed like it could be interesting to add that, you know, old, that old cassette of, uh, you know, six-year-old me and my kindergarten teacher on there because some of the stuff that we were saying and that I was saying 
was kind of cool. Um, it was from, yeah, Johnny Appleseed. But I thought it was kind of cool and, you know, talking about dreams and all that. You know, at the one point, uh, I forget what reason I, I say, you know, she's asking me like what happened in this part of the book. And we might've been talking about a different book at this point, but you know, I was like, it was all a dream. Um, and I don't know, that was a, that was like a poignant thing to hear. Um, so I just like messed around with putting that in there and, uh, there we go. That's, uh, that's the deal with that song. So, uh, song number 15 is called Moon Illusion. This was, um, this was something that was another thing that was kind of an idea that was on the shelf for a while, unfinished, and but I always liked it, but I I just never finished it. So when I was putting this album together, this was kind of like the album where I'm just like, I'm going to finish all these unfinished ideas and release them together. So this idea comes from, I was living at my parents' house in well in my grandma's old she lived in an addition on her house like a mother-in-law suite i was living there and so it must have been 2017 and um i have this device called an octatrack it's a hardware sampler and sequencer so it, you know for for anyone out there who's not um like into music gear it's basically just like a little beat machine you can like make beats on it you can sample on it so like you know i could go i could feed audio into it and sample it and then like manipulate it inside of this box um it was like a computer it it doesn't run on a computer or anything it's just a standalone thing and it's very powerful and you can make very unique interesting sounding things that I would never make on a computer just because of the way you operate it and like the way the interface is. It's just, it produces much different musical ideas than working in Apple logic, which is where I do most of my recording. So in an effort to get to know how to use that better and just get more comfortable with it, th this is also the piece of equipment, like the centerpiece of my live performance rig is this piece of equipment. And I don't, use it to its I hardly use it to like five percent of its capability when I'm playing live with it um it, it so I wanted to get to know how to use it better and so every day I would make I would try to make a beat or like a piece of music using the octatrack I did this for like maybe 10 days 15 days I would um just to try to get more comfortable with it, try to learn how to use the looping function, try to learn how to use, like, how to record, just trying to learn all the ins and outs of it because it was a very deep machine with a very steep learning curve, um, especially coming from a computer where everything is so 
you know, you've got a big screen and you got a mouse and a keyboard. This was all very foreign. So I was just trying to get more familiar and get better at it, at using this piece of equipment. And so I was trying to make a beat every day, just a session, no pressure to really, you know, just learn um, is all I was trying to do. And this song was one of those ideas Um, because they did start to get better. Um, You know, as I started, they started to get better and more sophisticated as I progressed, as I did more of those uh, beats with that machine. And there was was an interesting function that I was getting into at this particular time when I made this particular song. And that was like recording external sources into the machine. So, because it just opens up so many possibilities. So I had a, I had a computer up next to the machine with YouTube and I plugged the audio from the computer output like into this machine so I could record what was coming out of the computer. And then I would go onto YouTube and I would search, you know, like rainforest sounds or like toilet flushing or like weird sound effects or atmosphere or like for I think for the main like synth sound in this I I looked up a, a demo video of like this old piece of gear that has a cool sound and there was a demo video of a guy playing chords on it so I like recorded the different chords and then I rearranged them and like changed the pitch and you know just you can do whatever you want to them once they're in the machine and that was kind of the basis of this it was a lot of like recorded effects and sounds um into this machine but yeah it's just like it i feel so handicapped working in that machine because because it's so much different than a computer and you're so much more limited with like the kind of editing you can do but there's like also a lot of really cool stuff that you don't you'll never do on a computer just because of the way it's set up so anyway that's why i wanted to get more comfortable with it and uh, that's how that song came about song number 16 is called a cul-de-sac and bend And this was I, this was an idea that I had played live a couple times. It was something that I I had like developed this for my my live solo set, which is just a lot more electronic. And I, I play guitar and some keyboard and do some vocal stuff, um, but it's like a very much more electronic sound with electronic drums and. Um, this was an idea that I was developing for that. I only played it a couple times and I kind of forgot about it. So as with many of the other songs in this album, it was just one of those ideas that like I liked, forgot about it, and then decided to finish. And, um, 
yeah, that, that was it. It was just, it was like a retired live idea that I liked, but I just, you know, wanted to finish it. And the title of that song, A Cul-de-Sac and Bend, is a reference to, um, in 2017, I w- went on a trip with my uh, girlfriend at the time, and we pulled into a cul-de-sac. I can't remember if it was because we were lost and we needed to look at directions or because we saw that there was this really good sunset happening and we wanted to see it. But in any case, pulled into a neighborhood cul-de-sac that was kind of up, had some elevation, so it was overlooking this uh, big valley and there was like a very awesome sunset. And um, so that was just a one of the memorable sunsets um, and it fit the sunset theme for the album So that's what it's called. Song number 17, Serendipity. This was a very abstract song, um, and it was one that I made on the Octa track when I was going through that phase of just making little beats every day to try to learn how to use that machine. Um, and this was one of them, and it was real weird. Like, would never make anything like that in my normal workstation. And um, I don't know. There's something about it that I like. Uh Otherwise, I wouldn't have put it on the album, but I put it at the very end because I'm like, eh, it might be a little too weird. Um, I don't really care if nobody <laughs> hears this one, but um, yeah, this one has a lot of those sound effects when I was messing around with recording the audio from videos on YouTube and like adding that into the song. So there's like, a, I took some recordings of like water running and like just like random stuff on YouTube and birds chirping and kind of tried to twist those up with the machine that I was working on and see like, you know, change the pitch and like distort them and see what I could do with mangling the audio from, from that. And, uh, yeah, I ended up with that weird piece of music and, um, Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. And that is the final song on the album. So that that wraps up the uh, song-by-song analysis of the album. That was a long one. A lot of songs on there. Uh, The only thing I haven't really talked about was the album cover, which uh, this was one of the ones that I made and was just... You know, I still, and I still am, like, trying to learn how to do graphic design in a way that doesn't look terrible and amateur, and I feel like I'm getting somewhere, but I'm, I'm not there yet, but um, I feel like with this album cover, I was happy with, I feel like this was, I had learned a lot and made some, some good steps with this album cover. Um, I think the biggest things that I 
implemented with this album cover that I had not done and didn't know how to do before was texture, like applying texture to things. So like you can see the um, the cover has texture to it. It's not just like a flat color. The text looks worn. Um, so I learned how to do that. And that made a huge difference to, to my eyes, like see, having texture and not just flat uh, colors made a huge difference. Um, and, you know, that's probably one of those things where I'd overdo it um, until I kind of learn how to use it tastefully kind of thing. Um, and the, the other thing that was kind of a big revelation for me was font. So I spent some time looking around at different fonts and finally was like, okay, I'm willing to, you know, before I was, I was always like, well, what's like a good free font? Like there's got to be good free fonts out there. And, and, you know, your computer comes with so many fonts and, but this was the first time I looked around and was like, Maybe there, maybe I can get something better uh, if I pay for it. And you know, I think that I I felt like it was worth it for sure. I've I've ended up buying a lot of fonts since then, but um. So that was one step: finding fonts that I thought looked good, and then the other thing was the use of. I forget if they're called ligatures or glyphs. Ligatures, maybe? Like, the little fancy curly things on the letters. So, like, that was cool to mess with, and I feel like that made a big difference. Like, the N in Sunset has that curly little underline curly Q thing. You know, the normal N is just looks like a normal N, but then I found out how, in a lot of fonts, especially premium fonts that you pay for they've got a bunch of different variations of each letter so you know there's like three different k's and some of them had you know the curly thing on top some of them just looked normal some of them had you know an alternate curly thing so you could kind of really change the way the text looked and it looked i mean i feel like it made it look um a little more unique um, yeah, and just, like, messing around with formatting and, like, different text sizes, different text spacing, um, outlines. It's a very, very interesting topic. Like, I wish, if I was in college right now, and I guess I don't have to be in college to do this, but I would love to have taken a class on typography or whatever the course would be called where you study fonts and how to use them because i mean the further i dive into the into that the more i'm seeing like and becoming interested in like how big of an impact text and font and spacing and all of these elements of font and text is like how much of a difference that makes especially with I mean, I've always found that to be the hardest part and pretty much, and like one of the biggest indicators to my eyes of like when it looks professional and when it looks amateur. 
So I would, I would, uh, I would love to learn more about that subject. And I remember my roommate was dating a design student and I remember her talking about a class where they're, I mean, they're probably a bunch of classes that they had to take, but, um, specifically about fonts and talking about how she was sick of seeing Helvetica everywhere or something. But it is funny because, like, now that I'm, like, once I started paying attention and really, like, kind of um, getting familiar with the fonts, like Helvetica, Arial, Futura, and, and also, like, seeing examples of, like, where all of these different fonts, like, what brands are using them, you start to see them everywhere or you start to notice fonts. I like it. I'd, I'd like to know more about it. Anyway, that's uh, that's it right there. That's um, that's the album Sunset. And if you haven't heard it yet, um, it's a very long journey, and uh, I feel like I put the best ones towards the beginning, and the weird ones towards the end. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's all I got to say about that. Uh. uh if you've made it this far, congratulations, and uh, I'll talk to you on the next one. Have yourself a great week.